Richard's work is only going to continue to influence the world. And I feel more confident about the world that my kids are growing up in because of it. Everybody, welcome to the Pre-Accident Investigation Podcast. I'm Todd. You know me. You've seen me. We've talked before, and we're back. And I'm um, super glad you're here. Um, that's that's good. And thanks for coming. Tell your friends. Share it as much as you want to, because generosity seems to be the most powerful tool we have in our world. The more generous you can be, the more it comes back to you in multiple ways, which is interesting because that's kind of today's podcast. So, you know, a couple of weeks ago, I was really struck because Richard Cook passed away. And so in a way to honor him and kind of give you guys an opportunity to hear him, I clipped a presentation he did and just gave it full blown and thought, you know, you're going to make your decisions and, and impressions about what he says based upon that. And I'm glad I did that. That was a really good thing. In the meantime, however, John Ospaugh and David Wood called me and said, we want to talk about it a little more. And when those two guys contact you, you know, there's really no reason to not hit record. Because what they're going to talk about is amazing. Every time they talk, it's amazing. I took notes in this conversation, and I didn't think I would. But I did, because incredible things happen. And David and John are both incredibly wonderful and generous, speaking of generous, generous people. And they wanted to generously discuss with you guys to sort of let you in a little bit on Richard Cook. And they had done, um, and, and they actually have done, and I'll put a link in the, in the description, but they did a professional obituary, a, a really nice one, and it's available uh, you can pull it on the web easy peasy, not hard to find. Um, and it was on LinkedIn. So, I mean, it's been out there. And it sort of gave you uh, a very encompassing story of Richard Cook's life, which is amazing. But uh, not that that obituary is not amazing, because it's amazing. But this conversation you're about to hear really adds a depth of perception. And I think you'll enjoy it so much. So I'm not going to spend a lot of time talking about it, other than to thank you for listening and to let you know that as... As the forefathers of this thinking move to a new dimension, which is going to happen more and more, I mean, that's just how it works, um, it's a really important thing for us to think about where this all began, where these ideas took birth, and, and how controversial they were, and, and how people had to really create ways to um, talk about these in a way that's effective. You, you're doing it for your organization, so you know exactly what I'm talking about. So let me sit back and, and just allow David Woods and John Ospaugh to have a conversation with you. I'll be in there a bit, too. And let's talk about the great and wonderful Richard Cook. I think you'll enjoy this immensely. Sit back, relax, and think about the life of a great man. Why don't you introduce this session and let's get recording. I am ready to go at any time. So I think the very best way to kick this off is to say having the opportunity to have this conversation is really an important part of of moving forward. And I think that makes a huge difference. Uh, Richard Cook uh, left an impact that I think is remarkable. And just the opportunity to hang out like you guys have is worth the conversation. So what's your impression? Tell me. 
tell me what you think um, about Richard's life and and the the dent he left in the world of reliability. Well, uh, I'm, I'm going to take a stab. Um, I, I'll just say that um, I bet you a, a good number of listeners of your podcast and uh, and those who are familiar with lots of what Richard has written, uh, as well as Dave, um, consider, Mike, like myself, how complex systems fail is, uh, or at least was for me and continues to be for certainly in, in, in the technology domain, uh, it's like a gateway drug, right? It's the thing that lays out a bunch of threads that is so wildly different that, um, you know, when a friend of mine sent it to me, 2009, I was, I was reading it and I didn't know. I thought it was like, oh, this guy was, uh, my friend was a, uh, he was he was an early Amazon engineer and um, matter of fact helped build their cloud stuff uh, and he said you got to read this it's required reading and I was like oh all right okay. okay and I read this and I'm like nodding I'm reading nodding <laughs> nodding and I was like oh well, this this guy whoever this guy is is talking obviously he's talking about computers obviously talking about my world and I said oh Doctor Richard Cook oh yeah it must be some oh, maybe some sort of PhD computer scientist that I don't know of. I've never really, wait, MD, <laughs> hold on, wait a minute. And then I reread it and I was like, there isn't anything domain specific in there. And I was like, what? Yeah. Oh my God. And uh, yeah, and, and I think that that's the, and I met Richard uh, a couple of months later when I asked him to, um, uh, if we could put, um, the paper, uh, uh, How Complex Systems Fail, into a book that I was um, help uh, put together called Web Operations. Right. Um, and that's, you know, and then everything. Uh, and then he was quite happy to be roped into anything that I could rope him into, uh, speaking so, at conferences and all that. Yes. Yeah. So let me, let me give you the backstory of where that came from. Right. So, um, and, and first off, let's go back to his backstory which is, right, John said, met him as an MD, but Richard actually did a one-of-a-kind undergraduate degree, including urban planning, and then went off to be a software engineer. His first job was as a software engineer. And in thinking, uh, and he got very interested in uh, the hot topic that computers would have a big impact in healthcare and impact phys physicians and uh, physician work in the operating room. So he wanted to work on that. So he decided the best way to do that was to become a doctor. So he went to med school. This, this presages uh, many aspects of his life. Of, Let's go do it. Let's go see how it's really done. <laughs> and not how <laughs> Who does it, that? How it really gets done, right? No, but, but, before we came up in 2004 with the expression work is imagined versus work is done at the first resilience engineering conference where it just became the phrase of the meeting, right? Richard already understood that's what mattered. Look at that gap and, and understand how it's really done. So he becomes a doctor and then he gets a research uh, job at Ohio State. Um, and he starts there, um, roughly 87. I meet him in 89 when I get to Ohio State. 
because he's there kind of isolated and, and lonely. And anesthesia patient safety is uh, just taking off. And so he's got some uh, doing, trying to do some things for that. And people don't understand anything he's talking about, saying, talking about cognitive work in the operating room. So all of a sudden he hears that this guy is coming and he's read some of my stuff and he's like, oh, wait a minute, let's grab it. And so we go from anesthesia patient safety and so we start doing studies in the operating room. And again, it's look deeply up close, right, of how things happen. How, what are the incidents? How do people handle them? You know, what Eric would say, you know, how, how um, most of the time we're successful. But understanding that there are, um, that this, uh, the work to handle difficult situations is going on all the time. Uh, it's not rare, it's actually going on all the time. And we do an early study of expertise in uh, anesthesia and simple one line summarize a whole big long report, which nobody wanted to publish, by the way, because all this was always oddball and right. why are you doing these kinds of studies. Uh, and it came down to basically expertise in anesthesia is about anticipating bottlenecks ahead. Right? Something, well, that's, a, that's a good insight from doing this kind of stuff. So then the patient safety movement starts. Well, what happened is because I was, um, so Richard's looking intensely at the operating room and we're helping, and then we're doing cockpits and we're doing space operations and we're looking at how AIers claim they are going to solve co difficult cognitive work by dedicating uh, everything to the algorithms. And we're looking at it as a joint cognitive system. So we're expanding from the original stuff I was doing, the stuff, stuff Richard was doing, and we write behind human error. 1994. Okay? So pulling all this stuff together about learning from incidents. Why is it hard to learn from incidents before bad things happen? Why it's hard to learn after the bad things happen? And how technology can help create bad things if you design it wrong. Right. And so what happens in 95 and 96, the patient safety movement takes off. And so Richard and I end up getting dragged into it. And you can read about this in two of the books about patient safety from Bob Weir's um, and from Lucian Lee, two completely different perspectives, but both feature Richard pretty prominently. Now, we're trying to teach right, leaders in healthcare about human systems, human factors, cognitive systems, resilient. We're trying to teach them, right? And so we can give them behind human error. And right, most of them aren't going to read it. And they don't have a background to understand it. So what Richard is doing is trying to use non-traditional means to transfer the research results uh, to key stakeholders who can influence how this, how this plays out in a particular industry sector like healthcare. And so he tries to condense behind human error into two pages, two pages. And that was the original. It had to fit on cardstock, right? No internet. So we could hand out a page, right, on thick paper, print it on both sides, and we could hand this to people. Here's your, here's your cheat sheet, right? Here's your memory A. Here are the key points. This is about complex systems and about how they fail. It's not about human error. It, we're trying to put, push this on them and get them to understand it. And if you read the two books and the recounting of the history of patient safety, you'll see this conflict between the simple-minded, if we just computerize, if we just uh, police people, uh, things will be better, uh, versus the, no, it's a complex system. 
and you see that in the in the book you can go look at that we produced in 98 um uh tale of two stories so that anticipates the safety one safety two thing if you go back to that in 98 and and richard loved to to make little side sidebar remarks to eric every time they were both at meetings and eric would talk safety two and richard would always when it was his turn go yeah yeah, yeah. and there was this 98 thing called a tale of two stories yeah 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 uh, he, he couldn't get away without teasing Eric, and Eric would give a frown every time Richard did that. Um, uh, and so uh, this, you know, is something that is true of Richard's whole career. You know, he was doing different kinds of studies than what people expected for research papers to get published in ger- traditional journals, which wouldn't really get read and utilized by real stakeholders with real pressures who needed to reframe and change their conceptualization of what mattered and they had to change what they did in the real world and so he was constantly exploring alternative ways to uh to uh code the find new findings to to uh highlight what they meant and so you could rethink your approach and then translate that into actions people needed to take how would you know you need to do this differently uh, and try to inject it into the world because he was a clinician. He was a sharp end practitioner, not just someone who studied the, the sharp end of practice. Um, and so that's how uh, that two-pager came about. It evolved in, with the Internet into a four-pager that became on the Internet. And then uh, it's, you know, it didn't really change things for healthcare. They wanted to oversimplify. Too much pressure to oversimplify and turn this into categories rather than wrestle with uh, multiple interacting factors. And uh, it was very disappointing in many, many ways. But then a bunch of other people turned out to find it as the gateway to start to look at how joint cognitive systems of people and automation and AI work and to look at uh, these concepts about resilience engineering and adaptive capacity. And that took off and that's the story John John uh, related, and then, and then what happened from that, John? Well, the, <laughs> long answer here, Todd, but um, but a good one, John. It's a good yeah. answer. So uh, um, I had, uh, you know, all of what we're talking about, all of the uh, the work of lots of the people that Dave's just mentioned, including himself and including you, uh, Todd. Is as you know. Um, that this is really punk rock, like so flies in the face of traditional human factors or, or it was so perspective shifting that it has this quality that you can't unsee it. Right. And, and you're a bit kind of joked, like you're kind of a bit ruined, right? Like you can't go back, uh, but ruined in like a great way. And that grabbed a hold uh, of me. And I was like, this is what I, I was looking to understand. And I had no answers in my own domain. And, and uh, after a couple of years, I got Richard, uh, uh, I got him to speak at Velocity. I finally convinced Dave to come uh, speak at Velocity. Um, and like opened, and I was like, Dave, I think you got to, Richard's, Richard gets it. You got to pay attention here. I think this is, this is, this is important. And then, um, we, we said, all right, well then we're going to have to do, and Dave's suggestion was we're going to have to put together a, a consortium. This is what we do. And it's a new domain ish. And, uh, we came up with this, um, uh, Dave's 
suggestion was the snafu catchers consortium right and um and and we did exactly the thing that dave uh you know highlighted that richard was quite good at which is you can never go wrong by going concrete go to the grounded real messy details start there right forget about this you know large population oh so, uh you know we're going to do some statistics on frequency and severity and you know uh, all these sort of you know completely context-free outcome measures by the way we had a suggestion uh i was on a call with richard and um, some uh, senior leaders at a software uh company um i can't i can't i can't mention the name uh, very well known and um and they posted, oh, we've got this this categorization and this, you know, taxonomy. And what do you think? What do you think? And Richard says, hmm, so I, um, I've, we've seen this similar approach before. <laughs> um, we've seen this. Uh, lots of gurus uh, advocate for this. And by the way, I, I, I say the word guru because I can never remember how to spell charlatan. <laughs> And uh, he, he was so uh, Richard had a way of making things real and concrete, and the and uh, and it resonated with the people in the software world. And 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 the Snafu Catchers Consortium was a huge uh, vessel to 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 get that out. And the fact of the matter is, this you write and operate and manage software, you can't see it, right? Right. There's no laws of physics, really, about software behavior, and so you have to imagine it. And so that, like, that is a topic. How do how do you feel about it? How do how do you what scares you about this new release or something like that? Hit a hit a chord, a visceral, like, palpable uh, note in in. And Richard was um, what quite quite good at at putting things so simply the the thing that this reminded me of and I'm, i've mentioned this today before uh behind human error um lays this out quite really uh eloquently this idea that difficult things are only partially related to the outcome of those things and richard said uh at one point he said look how could you tell the difference between a difficult case handled well and a straightforward case handled poorly? And it's such a thought-provoking yeah. question. It just leads, it, it lays out for you on the face of it, it's obviously. Like, oh, this is a very straightforward, these are all very reasonable questions. But wait, I don't have good answers to this. Yeah, exactly. Well, let me let me add let me add a little uh, a, a part that I want you guys to approach because I think one of the things that I observe from Richard is his humility and generosity. So here's this expert thinker on the sharp end of anesthesia. I mean, it's not like sharp end of of donut making. Although I'm pro donut making, I want that on the record. Who is incredibly humble and incredibly generous? That part I think plays into this, doesn't it? Well, it's the story John just told, though, is that Richard could be uh, buried in a in his uh, humble approach, which he would right. awfully often say, "I'm just a country doctor." Yeah, 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 yeah. yeah. yeah right, I'm just a country doctor. Was often a needle, 
uh, <laughs> as in the story John just told. And sometimes that needle was pretty sharp. And sometimes it was hidden a little. It was it was more subtle than the, the story John re- recounted, but it was there. And often people kind of passed by it when it was like, you're going down the wrong path. And how do we get you back? And um, uh, and so, uh, but he uh, he was humbled. Uh, and this is, I think, key in the uh, uh, whole family of us taking an approach that still, even today, 40 years later, is still from when Eric and I wrote the first New Wine and New Bottles. It's still uh, uh, attacked. It's still dismissed. We just had it this week trying to be dismissed by a bunch of people saying, oh, no, you can't possibly do things this way. It's the humbleness comes from appreciating uh, the difficulty that people to sharpen go through, that they do a lot. They often don't completely understand how good they are and why they're good, but that they have to put up with um, uh, impositions from uh, uh, the blunt end and layers above that tie one hand behind their back, that, you know, that, you know, put blinders on, on one eye and say, you know, still do this. And that they're, uh, that this is, this is uh, highly adaptive. And, and that not because they're always right. Not, sometimes they're adapta- they get so good at adaptation, they, they let managers uh, uh, operate a, uh, uh, a very poor system, a very brittle system, a very fragile situation. And they make it go way past when it should fail. Right. And Richard was not a fan of managers, just to be, like, <laughs> so, even car- cartoonishly not a fan. <laughs> so um, because he understood the way they handcuffed operators uh, – and, and and then blame them, right? And that was so fundamental because he did it and he respected. And he, it was a, always a vision to watch him walk into a world that he didn't know. You know um, I don't know. Todd, I, I'm sorry, Dave. I just needed to say I'm, there, I don't know anyone who's ever uh, spoken with or definitely worked with Richard who doesn't have a story right. about Richard earnestly – genuinely taking time uh very generously taking giving time and attention to talking with them about real stuff everyone everyone and and, and the generosity is very very difficult to overstate i would say so the the lesson is it, and it's in the work on Inside from Gary Klein and others back 100 years. Um, it's the diverse experience. Right. You know, he had four areas as an undergraduate of study. Um, you know, he was working with computers. He was in the operating room. Uh, and then he's engaging with the studies we're doing, you know, in aviation and space and on and on and on. So he walks into an air traffic control center. He can engage with them. Uh, in a way that opens them up and they want to talk. But because of his diversity of experience, he's able to pick up what's important about their work, right, and bring it up and, and, and ask about situations and dig it and diagnose them a little bit to figure out, is that really, is this really the thing or is, or is that really the thing? And before you know it, even though he doesn't know a lot about air traffic control, he's got his finger on the pulse in a deep way about what really makes this tick. And this is where we should look. We should shape the conditions of observation and look hard here and understand what makes it work, how they handle difficult things, what really is difficult, and how we could really help them 
and what would get in the way and constrict their ability to adapt and demonstrate expertise. And you, you could see that. And it's a lesson for everybody. Have a diverse set. Don't narrow in too much and just do one thing. The more experience with more settings and, the, and it's this theme of getting deeply engaged with how it really works. Mm -hmm. Get beyond the veil. I mean, remember, that's a law. It's the fluency law, right? Mm -hmm. Well-adapted activity hides the difficulties handled and the dilemmas balanced. So, you know, Richard exemplified that law. He put it into action. He reminded us, us how fundamental that is in our work. And when you, when you break through the veil of fluency, you learn so much that's so, that's so uh, useful in so many ways, but it doesn't fit in the traditional research report. So one of the things we really want people to do is go look. Go look at some of these papers. Go listen to some of these talks. You know, being bumpable. You know, it's a great title, being bumpable. It's a, the insight into the ICU in that one paper all, all presented from one incident in, about the ICU. And it reveals stuff that you would, you would read papers about ICU and ICU docs for years and never understand what's really going on in the way that that one paper draws you in and reveals for you. Uh -huh. um, now, the other thing, though, is, uh, and I think we've got to really hit this hard a little bit, is the um, messiness, the adaptiveness, right, overcoming the obstacles and difficulties that real work presents regularly. Um, when, when Richard met John, uh, becoming a CTO and uh, software as a service world, right? when I met, uh, there, was a, there was a natural coupling on this thing of continuous adaptation. Now, this was literally what DevOps was that John and others, a few others helped to start uh, uh, 10 or 12 years ago. Uh, this continuous development, continuous integration that you don't have it solved from the beginning. What's the line you like to use, John, about what, what came out in those encounters with Richard in this early stage as we started the launch of the consortium and you were influenced by papers like How Complex Systems Fail? I mean, uh, the, 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 this idea that, um, that you cannot be certain about a thing and what, what Dave and, and, what, and, and Richard... Uh, one, I was describing, oh, let me tell you about this. Uh, instead of like, you know, put everything, make sure it's all right the first time and then ship you a CD, then we're going to make just, we're going to make small changes. And then part of those changes is to make it easier to make changes. And, uh, and this, uh, and so I described, oh, you do it this way and you do it that way. And I described this and, 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 uh, and the, the, phrase like the, the the term oh this is like a repertoire a collection of hedging strategies right and but then i was like okay sounds you know straightforward but then like wait yeah but you only <laughs> hedge if you're uncertain you don't hedge if you're certain you hedge when you're uncertain right and so that in and of itself brings you you can't talk about that without talking about the context, the specifics, the messy details, uh, as the as the as the title and, of the paper so is Nemeth. Yeah, and this gets us to the fundamental problem we have in safety. Still, we've had it from the beginning. Uh, my forty years in it, we have it today still, and we have it. And these are part of the discussions on post-pandemic industrial safety. 
people still want to have this as a reach closure. I make an investment. We've made it safe in some way. We've overcome this obstacle to safety. We're done. Right. If you read one of our paper, Richard's papers with me in the first resilience engineering book, we talk about an instance of this. Right. And instead of saying uh, and being coming comfortable with in the proactive safety world, what it really means is the same thing John discovered and empowered in software, which is you have to design it to be continuously learning. You have to be able to do it in small steps that are digestible and not overwhelming budgetary-wise. You have to make it a fundamental part of the working organization, not a separate thing that counts up incidents and fills out reports on the side of the line organization that does real work. It has to be integrated in so that it can become an informed and informative fundamental part of what it means for the organization. And that was, you know, Richard and John and uh, now forming a company to make this stuff not academic papers or even books trying to explain it all to people and say, you can make it practical. It was, let's go do it practically. And so the company, Adaptive Capacity Lab, started doing the programs with real organizations working to get them to say, here are the techniques, here's the stuff you do. And ironically, it led to new tooling, new kinds of software that support this process. And that tooling led to new companies. So there's startup companies now actually, you know, developing and integrating. So there's some structure and software tools that now become part of the everyday working life of these uh, organizations that do the critical software infrastructure on which all, everything we do in the world runs on. And, uh, and so now this is what you do. So in some ways, the greatest success of Richard's career uh, and these themes that run all the way through is this ability uh, uh, and demonstration of resilience engineering in practice that's gone on in the critical software infrastructure world. Thanks, David. And thanks, John. That was a great conversation. I won't belabor anything because I thought it was just a great conversation and I'm running a bit long. So thanks for listening to the podcast. Tell your friends, tune in, smash that like button, do everything you have to do. Until then, uh, always learn something new every day. You did have as much fun as you possibly can. Be kind to each other. Check in on one another. And for goodness sakes, you guys, be safe. Be safe.